0: I really wanted to see June take Serena down. I think we have been waiting for it. I thought it would be just like really delicious for June to be able to hit Serena when she's her most vulnerable. You don't own me, I'm not your property So take a shifty little beady eye of me This made me realise like, God, I'm such a story hog. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead,
3: our weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Handley, Managing Editor of SBS Voices. Hello. Haiti Island, Channel Manager of SBS On Demand. Hello. And Sana Kadar, host of All In The Mind for ABC Radio National. Hi. Hello. Well, we've got something a little different today. Um, you hopefully all have all just listened to our recap of episode seven of season four of The Handmaid's Tale, which is called Home. Home. And you probably heard us struggle a little bit uh, over some of the, uh, the turns in, in um, our June's character and just the turn that took at the end of that episode. And we are thrilled to this week have a special guest to help us unpack a lot of what we're feeling about that episode. Um, we are joined by the writer of that episode, Yalin Chang, who has written some of the epic episodes across the seasons. And, you know, we've, we've gone to town on those in the past. She joined in season two, much like we did. We, we started recapping in, in season two and uh, she wrote Other Women, which we might know as the baby shower episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> then she wrote The Last Ceremony, which I think probably needs no introduction. We all remember that one, which along with The Last Ceremony, also had The Hannah Reunion. She wrote Useful in Season 3, which was the third episode, The Women in the Cages. We allude to that one where she had to choose the most useful women. And Liars. She wrote Liars, Episode 11 of Season 3, the one where Winslow copped it epically in Jezebels. <laughs> and now she's written Home. Like what a what a track record.
4: She's basically... Um- the lady who's been making us cry, but also making us cheer. Like all the emotions, I think, that we've felt. Like, yeah, they are such pivotal
3: episodes. So talking to her is a real treat. Yeah. And those episodes have amazing confrontations in them as well. You know, we see the June and Serena now, but wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's so much going on. Let's get Yalin Chang in the Zoom. Hello. Hello. <laughs> So lovely to meet you. Thank you for um, letting us talk about your show with you. It's a real privilege to do that. <laughs> Thank you for making the time. Thank you
0: for inviting me. It's, you know, it's like I'm, I'm a little bit starstruck. I've been listening to your podcast for <laughs> so long and now I get to talk to you guys. It's really cool. As if we're starstruck.
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I can't tell you. When you said you listened, um, yeah, <laughs> we're mortified. We said, well, we, we quit. We can't do this ever again. <laughs> yeah.
0: What have we said? What have we said across the years? It's going to sound so narcissistic, but I was like listening to the podcasts of the reviews that you did of episodes I've written, just because like I know them the best. I know those episodes the best. And I was like, and you definitely found connections and things like that, that I was like, that is true. Everybody is vouching for each other in you know the episode liars like that is, you know so um anyway it's so fun it's so fun to hear you guys deconstruct it i was an english major and so i just like love i love all that stuff
3: <laughs> oh we we love getting into it um and you were a tv critic is that right you were a tv writer and
0: i was like the sixth string critic at newsweek for everything so i just had graduated college and I became a fact checker there and then a researcher back when they had like researchers and fact checkers and back when the magazine existed, Newsweek. And yeah, so I ended up being like the six string critic for like music and movies and television and theater and classical music and books. And, you know, so I was like the last person they sent in you know to do stuff but uh yeah 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 so I know I know what it's like yeah I was a journalist for and an entertainment journalist for about six years oh well you're among friends here
3: <laughs> living the dream you are absolutely well let's get into it um like as I say it's just such fun to have you here we've long admired your work across the seasons you know you did that first reunion with Hannah you killed Winslow <laughs> yes <laughs> you know <laughs> We love it. Um, and, I mean, this week, you know, there's a lot to uh, – you got a good one again. We also need your help with a little bit of that. We ha- we tried our recap and, um, yeah, got lost in the weeds, so we
0: thought – Let's go straight to the source. Ah. You did your recap about home, like the 407? Yes. We have. We have. It was so amazing,
4: like, because I say in the recap, like, for me, it ticks so many boxes, all the things that I wanted to see. I was like, yes, a reunion with Luke. Yes, a reunion with Nicole. Yes, Emily is the one that hands off the baby. Yes, they go to the supermarket. It was all like, yes, yes, yes. And then it gets to the last 10 minutes. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, my God, what? Is happening and so look my main question it's not exactly like an intellectual one but I have to say we are all so overly emotionally invested in this show <laughs> that my main question is our hearts are in your hands <laughs> like are they safe what are you doing to us are they safe <laughs> are is june safe you no, mean no we
0: us as viewers i'm like where it you guys yes. <laughs> well it's so Sorry. interesting because i almost think like it must be the reason why the show is so addictive to some people is because you never know right you just like don't know what's going to happen. Anything can happen. It's funny when you were ticking off all the things that I've written in my episode that just made me realize like, God, I'm such a story hog, you know, <laughs> but there is, you know, I mean, like Bruce is so, you know, he has such good taste and he's so, you know, novelistic and interior and he can do these amazing episodes of like, let's put June in one room and like, let's see what happened, you know? And so he is, He's like a poet, you know? And then I'm just this, like, trashy, like, soap opera junkie. I'm like, yeah, she kills Winslow. Yeah, she's a showdown with Serena. Like, you you know.
4: (laughs) That showdown was amazing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So um, tell us how you actually wrote that. How did you find June's words?
0: Well, I really wanted to see June take Serena down. I think we have been waiting for it, and I've been waiting for it, and I also, I thought it would be just like really delicious for June to be able to hit Serena when she's her most vulnerable, you know? So, like, I've had three kids, I've been pregnant three times, you know, and it's not even, you know, we're, we're having a fertility crisis, actually, but not, like, at the level of Gilead, you know, but, yet, yeah. But I know that feeling of, like, oh, my God, everything about me is just, like, I want to make sure the baby survives. I want to make sure the baby survives. And I knew that Serena at this point, especially living in Gilead, seeing a lot of babies not survive and a lot of pregnancies not come to fruition, you know, I knew that she would be really worried about that and thinking, like, what can I do? How can I maneuver things so that this baby will survive? I know. I'll make a deal with God. I'll redeem myself. I'll, like, redeem myself for all the bad things I've done. I don't want to be punished. You know, I need mercy. And so it was so interesting to me, this idea that June could really hurt Serena when Serena's most open to being hurt. And on the June side, I mean, like you said, I mean, this episode was so fun because I got to write the fairy tale ending, and I'm so sorry that... (laughs) It was a fairy tale, and then it got, you know, and then it became all dark and handmaid see but then it sort of was the fairy tale again. I mean, I really, and I know Bruce has talked about this, I really followed where June would, um, where the character, as we've created her, where she would be now. You know, she has so much damage and trauma and she of course everybody wants the fairy tale ending for her and so does she but we have to be so honest about where she actually is and so you know she's very I mean I remember talking to Lizzie before we were shooting this and Lizzie saying you know I'm Going to play her is like she doesn't really know, you know, she doesn't know who she is. Like she sort of figured out who she was in Gilead. She was this badass rebel. But suddenly it's like her dream came true or what, you know, or, you know, a qualified dream because she doesn't have Hannah, but she's like free and she has Luke and she's, you know, in Canada. And she really doesn't think she deserves it. She's full of guilt for having left Hannah. She's full of guilt for the last time she saw Hannah, knowing that everything that Hannah went through is because of her. Um, And so she's really off kilter and it's almost like she doesn't figure out who she is until she sees Serena, because then that taps into this very self affirming part of her, which is, oh, I know what I am. I'm the rage monster who hates Serena. And that helps to define her and give her identity Boundaries, you know. So it's almost like in that scene, in the sort of like Sex in the City girls scene where you know Richard Shepard, who was the director, did like a million episodes of girls. And it's so funny. I was like, Richard, you got this. You you know, you know how to shoot girls talking in a room. So anyway, so he in that scene even, as soon as Serena's name comes up, June is like it's like a drug. It's like ooh, now I know, like, ooh, I've been, you know, all episode, I've not known what to do, but now it's like, ooh, I, you know, I want to go back there because she knows who she is there. And yeah, and she finally, finally gets her fulfillment. And actually writing that scene was not hard. It's sort of, which, I mean, maybe it says something terrible about me, you know? But like, <laughs> I <heard> that scene <laughs> somehow like really quickly you know like I just knew that Gina would say something like oh God I you know I think God brought you here so that I could seek redemption and she was like I brought myself here to tell you how much I hate you and then it was just it was sort of like I don't know I had written in the outline and then it was it was really easy it was really easy to write that scene actually (laughs) what was it like actually watching it come to life
4: you know when you actually saw that scene after writing it and when you actually saw the actors doing it how does that actually feel
0: oh I mean it's it feels like such a career high you know i mean the whole show i mean i just feel so lucky to be able to be on this show and i mean because of covid we couldn't go the writers couldn't go to toronto and if the room is wrapped up and if we have a good sense of how we've broken the episodes and if the scripts are under control you know, we can afford to send writers to Toronto to, like, help with shooting and, you know, to sit on set. And so I did that for all the other seasons, but because of COVID, I couldn't. But they did Jerry Rig this really cool thing where we could watch what was being um, filmed live as it was being filmed at home on our computer. So we could sort of see what was going on on set then. And um, yeah, I, it was just so exciting. And I was like texting with Richard saying like, oh my God, like Emmy here, Emmy there. I mean, watching them. <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, the what's amazing about the show, and I've been a TV writer for over two decades now, but this show never fails. You write words on a page and in every single s- step, it gets elevated, you know? I mean, and I would say that more often than not, When you're working in TV or film, you, like, write stuff on a page and then (laughs) every step of the way there's, like, a compromise here and a compromise there and you can't afford this set and you can't afford these actors and this actor isn't interpreting it the way you want and this director has a totally different idea, Um, you know, and, like, the costumes aren't right or the sets aren't right or, but but what's amazing is that there's so many artists working on this show that, like, they make, they take the script at every level and make it better from costumes to sets to the director to the actors and they just blow your minds with how how amazing they make it, you know. You know, I had watched the end of that scene, that showdown scene, is a callback to one of my favorite scenes in season one, which was Serena saying, you know, yelling at you, do you understand me? And so... I just thought, ooh, like, I think Lizzie might have fun with this. And she told Bruce, actually, that she did watch that scene before shooting this, and, oh, my God, did she, like, blow it out of the water. I mean, it's so it is. She grabs Serena's
4: face, you know, <laughs> like, she really gets in there. It's I amazing.
0: Know, it, I know. They both had
3: so much fun. They were both, like, so excited to do that scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, so much has led to this moment. Like, it's yeah. we, we were right in there, too. Uh, part of... What I love so much about this show is the way that all the, across the seasons, all the scenes reference each other and your kind of callbacks that, you know, even here in this one with um, June and Luke on the bed, with the Hannah reunion, you know, you're quoting those lines again, like you just mentioned, the, the June and Serena. But it happens every episode and we're just, all the callbacks and the mirroring, we're obsessed with it. But how, how is that to write sort of, you know, do you how do you keep track of all of it? Yeah,
0: well... um, That scene on the bed, I know, but I mean, O.T. and June, oh my God, O.T. and Lizzie were just incredible. Um, That scene on the bed when June described the reunion, that I had written the reunion of June and Hannah. So I sort of just, I mean, it was maybe a little late, but I just went back and like read my draft and kind of repeated what I had already written. So that also was sort of an easy scene, you know. Um, And normally, like, I think you're not supposed to do that. But I had been so affected by that scene. And I was up in Toronto when we were shooting that June Hannah reunion. And that also was like a massive sort of career high for me to be there on set while they were shooting it and watching Lizzie work, um, you know, at the side of the director, Jeremy Podeswa, who's amazing. And so, I don't know, part of me thought like, maybe I just wanted to return to that (laughs) too, you know? But what's so interesting about that scene, and Lizzie said this, the first moment we talked about that scene is that she's lying in that scene, you know? She's spinning the fairy tale for Luke and she's all about taking care of him, but she is omitting, you know, what was most devastating to her, which was the last time she saw Hannah, you know, so it, it is very handmadey in that it is an intimate connection between the two of them. But it is a co- very compromised, intimate connection because she is not being wholly truthful. And that feels real, you know.
2: I want to ask a question about Serena. <laughs> so I, I always feel so torn when, um, I'm watching Serena and especially now that she's out of Gilead and, and in this very vulnerable space, vulnerable space herself. Um, and so I wanted to ask, is, is Serena, uh, a, an abuse survivor that is worthy of our empathy or is my moral compass just completely broken?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love Serena too. I mean, I am so fascinated by her because she is so um it's not that she's like a nice queen it is that she is so human like she is so embodies all the massive flaws of being human she is like just extremely selfish you know and extremely interested in her own goals and can be extremely callous towards others in the service of her own goals you know um I mean it is so fun it is it's just so fun to write her you know because uh and the way that Yvonne plays her I have to say I mean it's like you can't believe that you feel bad for this woman right like she's done the most horrible things and yet Yvonne infuses her with this, like, vulnerability and this humanity where you almost want good things for her, you know? Um, but it's, it's it's just so fun. It's so fun. I mean, I thought about her a lot because, um, you know, I'd also introduced her mother uh, sort of way back when in season yeah. three. And that was so fun because it was like the two of them talking in the kitchen. And we've seen a million moms and daughters talking in the kitchen and, you know, in like all sorts of TV shows, you know? I like Sally Field and Brothers and Sisters or whatever, like, Million Scenes in Parenthood. And so I just, like, love, I don't know, I sometimes think of this show as, like, those shows those sort of like living room domestic dramas with this like huge horrible twist to it, you know, like the dystopian version of that like it's like sort of a comment on that stuff. I don't know, I think Serena is just sort of embodies like the very uh worst of us, you know the like, and there are lots of horrible people like her, you know, so there's there's a truth to who she is. She is very fun to watch. I know. But she really, the other thing that is scary about her is that she is very capable of love and friendship. But she really, really loves, you know, she like really loved Nicole. And she, you know, yeah, but I I get it. I just
4: noted your past tense because I was actually wondering, did she ever actually love Nicole? Does she still love Nicole? And I like that you said loved. (laughs) That's just my statement. Oh, yeah. So she loved Nicole. Okay,
1: noted. (laughs) I just wanted to pick up on the realism of Serena and then take that broader. You know, we know Margaret Atwood, you know, famously drew upon real world events to inform the worst of Gilead. How do you ensure you're staying true to that when writing sort of the characters and and the plot? But also, does it depress you as you're writing some of
0: this? So it's interesting. I mean, the show is bleak. It's (laughs) like there are certainly dark aspects to it, but there is a thrill to kind of writing the truth, you know, where you can really feel like you are being honest about the human condition, you know? Like, it's so funny because, yes, doing research for the show, we do certainly get some criticism for being too dark. And yet, whenever we do research for the show, we are constantly reading about the Uyghurs in China or, you know, what women in, you know, Muslim countries or India or Africa or, like, women... Throughout history and all over the world, what women had gone through is so horrific that we cannot put that on the show. It's like the world is so much more horrible than our show, you know? And what is interesting about the criticism that we get is that, you know, people will say, oh, this is like... I mean, like, the stuff that is true that's really happened to women, we cannot show that on television. And... You know, it's not lost on me that there's something about having these horrible things happen to Americans, to, you know, centrally, like a white, blonde, blue eyed American woman, that it feels unbearable, you know, but this bad Stuff has happened all the time and often to black and brown women and, you know, (laughs) women of all shades. So there is something that is liberating about sort of like exposing people to the truth of like how horrific things are. And again, just sort of a fraction of the horrors that we end up researching and cannot use on the show because it's too bad, you know, it's too dark.
1: On the research that you do, is that like an ongoing process or do you sort of start the season, do a bit of research, what's happening in the world now and, and carry forth or how, how does that work? How do you incorporate the research into how you write?
0: Well, we have the most amazing UN consultant who actually would be a great interview for you guys um, named Andy Katao who we almost kind of like based Una on a little bit too. Um, and she is um, both has like worked as a spokesperson for the UN and in different refugee organizations and is a psychologist and so we always start with her and then she always you know ends up bringing sort of the most amazing you know like the head of the ICC to talk to us and that sort of thing um, and so, so we usually start with her but we also speak to professors we also just do like a lot of Google research and I, I feel like in some ways the most affecting scenes are the most sort of uh, specific Scenes to real life, you know. So, for example, the um, a scene that Bruce wrote that always affected me, like one of my favorite scenes is in season one when Moira gets out and is in that Canadian refugee center, and the guy's like, "Here's a phone card, here's like a health insurance card." Like that was just so amazing to me, you know. So then, when I got to write June coming home in, uh, you know, coming to Canada in this episode. You know, I talked to Andy and she told me about how for these sort of VIP witnesses, you know, you would take them and you'd put them in this like gorgeous House or hotel room where you would like treat them so well, you know, and you would debrief them in sort of these like extreme, this extremely comfortable environment. And I just loved that so much because it really does play on the fairy tale nature of this, you know, that this is a dream come true. And it is so unbelievable. Like it is so just like world defyingly shocking for her to experience like having come from just you know chicago and feeling like it and being treated terribly to you know Come to this gorgeous hotel room, come through the lobby, here, whatever you want, have some food, here are flowers. You know, it's just so here's the, you know, a beautiful, luxurious bathroom. Like it was just so that compounded with the fact that she feels so much like she doesn't deserve it. Like she is being treated like this hero and she feels like the worst person in the world because of, you know, because of the handmaids who died because of her, because of Hannah. I mean, she just has so much guilt and so much trauma, you know, and so. The fact that the outside totally doesn't match at all with what she's feeling internally—it um, was—it was just like such a—I don't know—it's an amazing juxtaposition to be able to explore.
1: God, I had no idea that was based on real life scenarios. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, there's actually like a house in D.C. A special—I can't remember the name of it—but there's a special house in D.C. where you bring these, you know, sort of VIP, you know, refugees when you
3: debrief them. It also wasn't lost on us when we did the recap that that hotel looked like it would have been a Jezebel's, you know, in Gilead, that, you know, all the fancy trimmings, and, <laughs> the lighting was very Jezebelly. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting, yeah. And we can't beat around this any longer, the uh, the June and Luke scene. I mean, we need your help.
0: <laughs> uh, I know, I know. Geez. Yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> shades
3: of the last ceremony in that. Oh, um, my God, I
0: know. Well, they was so interesting. Those were two such different circumstances because the last ceremony, I pitched that horrible ceremony, <laughs> <magazine>. <laughs> you know, because I felt like the logical conclusion of what would happen... What Fred and Serena would do after June humiliated them and the logical conclusion of this idea that a woman's body is not her own and that as the commander and wife, you own her body, that they treat her body like it's there. So it's sort of like, oh, it's a funny story about a couple trying to have sex to get the baby out. But it's not. It's like the worst thing, you know. And yeah. also there, I wanted to show that somehow the other ceremonies we had shown were palatable because the... Handmaid was compliant, but here, because she was pregnant and she was fighting back, it was like the worst scene ever. And I was so interested in the fact that people were so freaked out because I think there's a certain hypocrisy in that, because all rapes are horrible all the time. Even if the woman is not fighting back, even if the woman isn't pregnant, rape is rape and it is terrible. And so I felt like, you know what? Let's show you how unpalatable and how terrible rape is, you know? And just because she's fighting back and just because she's pregnant, doesn't mean like, oh, now it's horrible, but the other times it's fine, you know? Mm. It's fine. And by the way, handmaids are going through that every single month, you know? And so I almost felt like, God, we'd sort of forgotten. We'd sort of forgotten how terrible the ceremony is. Now, in this episode, that difficult scene, that was pitched to me in the room. <laughs> and I remember being like, I can't be the weird sex writer. I just can't. And they were like, but this is what would happen. Like, that was the writers telling me, like, this makes sense. This is what would happen. And unfortunately, they were right. Unfortunately, like Moira says, like, nobody comes out of Gilead not being effed up about sex, you know? And so, the idea that June could leave Gilead and come to Canada and have, like... Loving, gentle, totally healthy sexual relations. That is unrealistic hope, I think. You know, Mm. I think that sex for her, because of her time in Gilead, is naturally going to be infused with issues of power and dominance and violence and non, you know, and lack of consent. I mean, look where she came from, you know? So that unfortunately, is, it is an honest version of what I think that scene would be, of what would honestly play out. Because I feel like the alternate wouldn't feel, it just wouldn't feel honest. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> but I'm very sorry. And I did not want to write it. and I was so mad
3: (laughs) fine, you're off the hook yeah, no, you're right it's deeply uncomfortable but there's a lot going on in that scene
0: yeah, I know Mm -hmm. I know, and they did an amazing job of it and then, I mean, the thing is then it's followed up with like a happy family playing in the snow scene (laughs) you know, one of the things that I think is really human and true is that like people are really good at lying to themselves and so, you know, anytime we can infuse that truth into the show I uh, is I think that adds to the realism of it
2: yeah I I think um June's actions in this episode are, are so influenced by her trauma and that the episodes that you write do trauma so nuanced and so effectively and I wonder what, for you, is the most challenging part of trauma to, to accurately convey on screen because it's such a, a complex thing.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really, I mean, it's a really good question. You know, I... Um, I'm actually like a total, and Bruce has said this too, about himself. So it's weird because our room is, our writers are like the sweetest, (laughs) like the sweetest, most innocent, nicest people. But there's so much television that I can't watch. Like, I can't watch Game of Thrones. I can't watch SVU. I hate horror movies. I can't watch horror movies. Like, there's all this, like, I don't watch, like, the dark bleak stuff. I'm too much of a wimp. I'm too much of a wimp. But so it's interesting because there's something about writing it for the show where I can control it. Like, it just makes me able to do it. And, and by the way, our show is so much less violent than all these. Other, I mean, our show is like so much less violent and there's so much less, I mean, whatever, of that torture or something like 24 or Homeland or Game of Thrones or whatever. But I think that because our show is so... I don't know, it's so intimate and personal, it, it, it feels very effective, but just like in terms of the violence that it shows, or gore, it's like nowhere near so many other shows, you know. Um, everybody has a certain amount of trauma in their lives, even if it's like, you know, really dumb superficial trauma, <laughs> you know, even if it's like, oh my God, I can't find a place to sit in the cafeteria and nobody wants to be friends with me, you know? It's like everyone experiences a certain amount of it and then it's just like super heightened in a place like Gilead. But everybody understands the feelings of shame and everyone understands the feelings of like, this bad thing happened to me because it's my fault, you know? Like, I think that's just part of being human, you know? And so I think everybody can relate to that. You know, it's funny, there's this sort of like conventional wisdom with TV writers definitely is that like in comedy rooms are the darkest rooms and then like heavy drama rooms are the lightest rooms. And that is very true in my experience. Like I worked on an hour long comedy once and boy, like was it dark, you know, like there's something about, I don't know, like maybe writers just have a certain amount of darkness in them. And like, I've been so happy writing for this show and I think that I channel all my darkness there you know so it's like the moms at my kids school are always like like they can't believe that I write for the show they're like what's wrong like you see so and they tell me that like they talk to their friends who don't know me and they're like "No, no, no, no she's actually like really nice like she's actually seems like a nice person and I think that it's very helpful for me to channel my darkness into my work and then it doesn't come home (laughs) you know (laughs) but by the way there are definitely other writers who did not you know who like who who don't want to write that stuff it's very it's very triggering for that's just not how it works for me psychologically you know but there are definitely (laughs) writers who don't want to do this
1: (laughs) fair enough I wanted to ask you know you've talked about um how you uh worked as a, a journalist and a critic how did you get your start writing for tv how did that pivot happen
0: um, I, like, was just always obsessed with TV growing up. My my parents and sisters and I would always gather around the TV and watch, like, Dallas and Dynasty and Falcon Crest and, like, learn what America is. And then I got really into, in high school, I got really into watching, like, China Beach and L.A. Law, and I just thought, in 30-something, and I always thought that television was the most amazing thing because it came into your living room every week and you really got to know these characters over a long period of time and you got to see them grow and change and so I was just always really obsessed with TV and then when I was in college I like took a book out of the library that said, like, how to be a TV writer. <laughs> and it basically said, like, write a spec episode of a, you know, show. So I think I wrote A Party of Five, which was a show I loved. And I, then I wrote A Law and Order. And then I wrote, like, a, a pilot about being, like, a, an entertainment journalist in New York. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I think I sent, like, a million letters to agents and never heard anything back. And I was very... I. I never crossed that firewall between being like a journalist and then like becoming a TV writer. Like I never pitched myself to like people I was interviewing or anything like that. I always kept the, like my journalism and then sort of like my TV writing separate. And then like, I met a girl who had met an agent and that agent had passed on her, but I wrote him a letter saying like, I want to be a TV writer. And he actually ended up signing me. And that's how I got my start.
1: (laughs) Brilliant. That's amazing.
0: And so you joined? Did you join Hand Handmaids in season
4: two? Yes, that that's right. Yeah. So what was it? What was that like joining the writers' room when they when they'd already had one season under their belts?
0: It was the whole time. It was like I can't believe I'm here. First of all, I can't believe I'm here. And also, they kept that whole second season. They kept like winning awards. Like every week, they'd like, <laughs> win an award, and then they like swept the Emmys. And like I was just sitting there as a non first season person watching you know all these like awards galore and nominations galore just like be showered upon these like really lovely people and so yeah that whole season was me feeling incredibly like nervous and intimidated and like I don't belong here and oh my god look at all these like amazing people who are winning all these awards and I'm just like basking in their glory you know um yeah and so that was it was interesting it was pretty cool
4: (laughs) How has your role in the writers' room evolved over the last few seasons?
0: Well, you know, um, it's interesting. I mean, I, at this point, I this season I was an executive producer, so I, along with this past season, Eric Tuckman and Kira Snyder, who were on from the first season, we definitely were like, you know, the senior people in the room under Bruce, and so that means that we try to make Bruce's life easier and like try to take. As much off his plate as we can. So often that means um, like running the writer's room, so that you know, so that he doesn't have to be there for the very beginning of a story break, so that we can do a story break without him, and then show it to him and get his notes and get him to approve it or disapprove it. You know, um, it means um, rewriting scripts, scripts that come in, so that he doesn't have to rewrite them. It means turning scripts in ourselves that don't need to be rewritten, you know, and it means, you know, not like, you know, producing the episodes. So this block of six and seven, which was the boat and the the boat and the homecoming, I was super lucky. Richard Shepard directed both and I was there to produce both episodes. And that requires, you know, um, making a ton of decisions, especially, I mean, this block was, I think when we started, it was like, it was millions of dollars over with them. You know, and so it was like figuring out how to wrangle this to the ground, you know, and rewriting constantly. I mean, I don't think I've ever written so many revisions of scripts ever in my life, Um, you know, and also having to write for COVID restrictions suddenly while we were while we were prepping, like, this rule came down from Canada that we couldn't have, like, more than 10 or 15 people on camera. And, you know, in episode six, it was all, like, I mean, it was written, you know, for, like, hundreds of people. So yeah. that was a huge challenge, you know? But it's been great. It's really great. I mean, Bruce is amazing about empowering all the people on the show to have agency and creative ownership so that we fight for what we're doing, you know? So that we feel so invested in what we're doing and we all feel like, oh, this is our show. Like, this is my episode, this is my show. Not like, oh, I'm writing Bruce's show, you know? Like he is just so smart about, yeah, empowering his writers and producers to do the best work that they can.
1: So I want to know more about the COVID stuff in terms of how that impacted you guys. So how were you able to shoot that scene then? Because it looked like there was more than 10. And also, did COVID have to change any plot points, sort of? Or was it just rewriting to make, uh, you know, accommodations for COVID rules?
0: Let's see. So originally, I mean, like, in episode six, that whole, all those medical tents and stuff, like, that was originally, like, a huge thing like there were going to be all these people in these like huge medical tents and distribution Ooh. tents and you were going to see that all and see the handing out of supplies and all that stuff and then because of covid it was like okay the tents are breaking down <laughs> and they're getting out you know and that whole reunion scene which oh my god i love so much it was like that all had to take place on like a truck you know, because like, mm. and then we had like fifteen people on the truck. I don't know. I feel like I'm giving away trade secrets. that's what I'm not supposed to, to. <laughs> <fascinating> to you. <laughs> but the, I don't know somehow it worked out perfectly. Like, I think it really worked out the way it always should have worked out, you know?
4: it looks yeah. great, you know? like it's actually amazing, you know? so I can only imagine how hard it has actually been. But in terms of the end result, well done.
1: Thank you. Yeah, though no, it was
0: it was hard.
1: <laughs> is there I'm wondering, is there a particular plot point um that's caused the most argument in in the writer's room in terms of which direction to go, either this season or
0: previous ones? Um I'm trying to think. You know, our room is so nice, like it is just the nicest <laughs> room that I can't even imagine what Like, June not leaving
1: earlier, perhaps? I don't know if that was ever something you guys tussled over.
0: No, you know, it's interesting. That, that, I mean, to me, anyway, it was so obvious that she would not leave without her kid to us. So, in fact, like, the fact that it was controversial at all, I don't know, really surprised me because, like, it would be really hard for me to leave my kids in a totalitarian country and leave. And so that was, like, it was shocking to me that people... Like that, people couldn't understand that, you know. (laughs) Like it just seemed, of course. Like, and she's, you know, such a great mom, you know. Um, I'm trying to think. Do we have big uh, arguments? I think no. Yeah, that wasn't. I mean, I don't know. It's like our any disagreements are handled so like kindly and respectfully with no hurt feelings. (laughs) I can't even. And everybody listens to each other, and then Mm -hmm. like parrots each other's points and after everyone anyone pitches something people are like oh yeah that's a really good pitch to build on that blah blah, blah. like it is a model for how writer's room should be run actually <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you have a a favorite scene that you've written or or a favorite character that you'd love to write
0: well, of course. I mean, you know, June is the character that it's like she is the driver of the show. And then, you know, I mean, I I've always loved writing Serena. I was so happy to finally um, write Samira because I hadn't sort of had a chance to. It's just like her stories hadn't fallen into my episodes before. So I was so thrilled to do that in terms of scenes. um, You know, I loved writing the the June Serena Showdown in 407. I loved writing the June Hannah Reunion, even though that one was really hard because I did have to imagine, like, what it would be like if one of my boys had gotten kidnapped and I couldn't see them for three years and then I could only see them for 10 minutes. So, like, I did really have to... Dig deep on that one, and I was like, Oh my god, they'd be so mad at me! And so that was like, Hannah's really mad at her, you know. Um, even though it's totally unfair, so that scene, and then I loved reading like the Serena and Fred in the woods before he gets arrested because yes. of her. Like, I really enjoyed that, and I got and I was on set for that one too. And it was, I think it was, yeah, was it Denise Herguven? And like the whole idea that she's like pulling him into this dark woods was so fun. I just love that scene. And, and Joe finds and Yvonne are so lovely that they're like totally the opposite of their characters. And they are they're just so kind about the scenes and they really like, I mean, our actors are so... They're just so kind. Oh, and writing the June Luke in the hotel room, like Ot was so sweet about that. He like said, meanwhile, saying like, "Thank you." I mean, there's like a really, yeah, there's a great humanity amongst all the the people who work on this show. So yeah, that's you know, I loved writing. Yeah, all all of that. Yeah.
4: Um, this season, a lot of Handmaids have died. Has that been like? controversial at all or are you sad to see some characters go or is it, is it is it sort of heartbreaking to write as it is to watch?
0: Yeah it is and it's heartbreaking to let go of people that we love you know <laughs> who work on the show but it is for the integrity of the world it feels like they they would die like lots of I mean given what these characters are doing in this place they would be dead so It's almost like for the integrity of the show, some people have got to go, you know. (laughs) Um, But can I just make a request? Not (laughs) Janine. I know. Isn't she amazing? Oh, my God. And she was so amazing in that. Mm -hmm. I know in that abortion. Yeah. Story. Oh, my God. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Has the direction of the show changed because of the Testaments? So um, I'm just interested to know, you know, did you know what Margaret Atwood was planning before the book was published? Or, or have you had to make any dramatic pivots to the, you know, the long arc of the story?
0: Well, let's see. I mean, I think Margaret and Bruce have conversations that we don't always know what what's said in those conversations, you know, but, um, you know, every now and then it would be like, Okay, the baby's name is going to be Nicole, you know, and that. <laughs> and I think that was like, in, you know, I sussed out that I think that that might be an Atwood directive, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, we all loved and, you know, admired the Testaments. And I think, you know, a little bit, like the direction that Aunt Lydia took, a little bit, you know, we're trying to make The Handmaid's Tale as good as it can be. So... I do not feel just like as a writer in the room that, um, you know, I mean, we're all in some ways trying to channel Margaret Atwood all the time, you know, but I didn't feel overly like, oh, we threw it up on the board and we're like, we're writing to that, you know. Right. Yeah, good
3: to know. We never know how much to, to reference it. <laughs> you know, like We assume all the Handmaid's fans super have read it and devoured it, much like we did, you know, reading it, reading it two and three times, try and get insights. But, um, yeah, like we try and bring it in just, just a, a nod to it, but it's a tricky one this season. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll navigate that how we can. Um, you know, obviously you've got the season five pick-up. Congratulations. That's, we can't wait. Has work started on that yet? Have you sort of started ideas? Where are you at with, with that?
0: Um, we're, I think we're just sort of starting. We're like just at the beginning. Yeah, I don't really know anything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or can share anything. But I don't
3: know, or no, 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 we won't ask. No, yeah. <laughs> just want to know, um, yeah, the plot line, the, um, yeah, the timelines. And I love it that at the end of this one we see Toello's board of, um, you know, facts about the figures of Gilead yeah. in, in, in the room. Yeah. And, of course, I screen capped it and tried to zoom, but
0: <laughs> it was too blurry. <laughs> I love the murder board. Well, that's just where, I mean, our sets are. Our, our set designer, our, our people are just amazing because literally, like, like I wrote murder board and then I like come up with this amazing thing. I just love that so much.
4: <laughs> we haven't really talked about Lydia and she's so fascinating. We have like hated her <laughs> for seasons, you know? Um, but we also really like um, really enjoy all of her scenes as well. Like, you know, Lydia on a treadmill was just absolutely fantastic. Um, so we sort of can't get enough of her, but, um, How do you guys feel about Lydia? You know, what's your what's your take on on her?
0: Oh, my God. We're obsessed with Lydia. We're totally obsessed. And I wish (laughs) we could do, you know, like so much more with her. I mean, she's an incredible Anne Dowd. I mean, it's just there's like nothing that she can't do, you know. And what's so interesting is that she infuses this like horrible tyrant with so much like love, like love of her work love of her girls is just Mm -hmm. incredible. And not to mention Nandad is like, just the kindest, most lovely person in the entire world. I mean, she's incredible. Um, So yes, we are all obsessed with Aunt Lydia. And you know, there's just sort of such an embarrassment of. Riches, you know, and it's like, oh, my God, it took us this long to do a Janine flashback, but, you know, by the way, beautifully written by J.C. Heltrick, um, mm-hmm. who used to be a researcher, who's now a, an amazing writer um, on the show. So, I mean, it is it's it's truly an embarrassment of riches, you know, and like, does Anne Dowd and Duet and Lady deserve an entire show to herself? Yes. <laughs> you know, Um, Yeah. She's amazing. She's amazing. And, yeah, I can't wait to write more for her.
4: (laughs) I think um, because The Testament's sort of... um, I think we've sort of straight-up seen Lydia as a villain this whole time, but The Testament really makes you sort of question how we feel about her, similar, I think, to how we wrestle with Serena as well in terms of, like... um, how much is evil and how much is good and where is that balance? You know, is it like 70-30? Is it just (laughs) full 100% evil? And so, like Lydia, we learn in the Testaments, of course, you know, that she's got other motivations and there are other things that she's doing that we can sort of get behind. So she's um, a really fascinating character, I think, for viewers. So I can imagine that you must wrestle with that as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think mean, she's a survivor and Serena's a survivor. And one of the things that's true about the show is like, look, if we all lived in North Korea, God knows what we would be doing. You know, it's unfortunately, you know, just in terms of people's capacity for evil or good or like if they're born evil or good, like that, you just you're so sensitive and vulnerable to your environment. And in a toxic environment, you can become an entirely different person, you know, if you're surrounded yeah. by toxicity, you're by, you know, or surrounded by, you know, like terrible people, or if you feel like you're constantly under threat, you know, I think that you you'd be surprised at what you're capable of, you know? And I know I think that's a story that we're telling with all our characters and June too, you know, like Gilead has wormed its way inside her. And we've seen the the damage done, you know? So like, yeah, governments matter and the people that you interact with matter and like who you see on a daily basis matters. And
4: um, yeah. One of the amazing things, I think, is just how much fans are really into this show. Like, they are they are so, they're so into it. Not just us, by the way, because we're overly into it as well. Um, does it actually surprise you, you
0: know? Like, do you, do you look at the feedback? Well, yes. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely listen to you guys. And, you know, some of the most... Um, sort of edifying things like is it like for example i was giving a talk at a university once and this like best turkish journalist in turkey came up to me and said that they were she and all her turkish journalist friends were watching the show and really loved it because it really they could really relate to um its portrayal of a de-democratizing nation you know and i said like, how do you even watch it? Like, how is it allowed? And they were like, well, they all they all sort of like steal it off of some, you know, black market VPN or something like that. And, you know, it's just amazing. There are people who are like risking their, you know, their safety to watch this show because the story speaks to them. And I was talking to another, um, like a, the, the Writers Guild, there's a union organizer there who, um... Before he came to the Writers Guild, he was a union organizer for hotel workers in L.A. So these, you know, like Spanish-only speaking hotel workers. And he was saying that they were all obsessed with the show, you know, because there something about being a minority or oppressed woman in a strange world that they like really, really relate to, you know. And mm-hmm. so it's really... um I mean, it's so incredibly satisfying to feel like we're, we're reaching those people, you know? I mean, every now and then, well, JC actually, who I mentioned, like sent me some Reddit threads after the the episode with Janine's abortion flashback and reading through these threads, you know, a lot of them were like, this is so triggering for me. Like a lot of them had tried to get abortions. Like, I mean, the, there's, there are a lot of, women who in fundamentalist christian societies who really relate to it who you know on these reddit threads about the show talk about their lives and again it's like stuff that is too horrific to put on the show you know like the number of women who've dealt with sexual assault or been you know had their sexual agency compromised in some way or other you know it's That's amazing. And I mean, I don't know, this season in particular, I feel like I've just seen more, uh, I don't know, like Twitter reaction than ever. You know, it's so satisfying. It really is. It really is.
4: Does it add pressure or do you feel like there's more of a responsibility? Does it does it get into your
0: head in some ways? Um, I think we do feel a responsibility for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we take what we do pretty seriously and I mean we don't want to disappoint our fans our fans are like the best people in the world <laughs> <laughs> you know I think that we are always guided by not what people would think and not what the reaction might be but we're always guided by yeah what would it's a bit of a cliche and like people say this on other shows but actually it is so true like what would really happen what would really happen when June gets to canada and reunites with people how will she really feel what will really happen with her the first day that she's goes to a supermarket you know i mean i remember my older sister went to visit communist china in the 80s you know and i remember when she came back she spent a summer there when she came back she had this like unbelievable experience walking into an American supermarket for the first time, you know? So it was like when this story came, you know, and it was just the culture shock of it was like unbelievable. So as soon as I knew I was doing this episode, I was like, I'm doing her first time at the supermarket, you know? And, (laughs) you know, and like the callbacks to loaves and fishes and all that, you know, it's, that's just an example of the fact that it's the more real and the more specific, the more the more effective it is. And, yeah, I mean, I'm just so, I'm I'm really, really thrilled about this season. And, I mean, I think that, that there is, like, a lot of payoff for people. Like, they're finally getting what they wanted and have been waiting for. And I also just like that we did it not in the beginning and not at the end, but, like, you know, smack like randomly in a 10 episode season in like episode 6 and then like, I just love that. You know, it's like, <laughs> that just felt like the time to do it, you know, and I think that that is part of what part of the power of the show is, yes, like you're always a little bit off kilter. Like the rhythms of the show are not the normal TV rhythms that you're used to where it's like you work up to a huge cliffhanger right at the end of the, you know, like you just don't, like it could be anything could happen, you know, (laughs) like life. It's totally unpredictable. Yeah, that's
3: where, you know, and we see a lot of the fan theories as well. We have a lot of the fan theories too. Um, Yeah, we struggle with being used to how, Network TV particularly builds us and builds to a climax and we're just like, no, we have to unlearn everything that um, (laughs) Prestige TV's taught us. Yes. So thank you for helping us on that journey. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, you're, you're making us, this season that you mentioned, you know, I think we're all feeling it more as well. I mean... You know, you had us crying last week. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you did. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. (laughs) I don't know. I really want to make people cry. It's so funny. Comedy writers are like, they love it when people laugh. They get people to laugh. I'm like, I want to make them cry. It's (laughs) great.
3: Well, you did in spades. (laughs) Um, Good. Thank you so much. We we could talk to you all day. Um, maybe we'll keep you on speed dial if we need some. Money. <laughs> We'd love to have you back anytime.
0: Oh my god, it's so fun to talk to you guys. Call me anytime. This is so fun. I love talking
3: about the show. <laughs> oh, we love it. Thank you so much. It, it's such a thrill. Yeah,
0: it's so fun to talk to you. Seriously, call me
4: anytime. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Oh, you're amazing. Thank you. Thank you very very much. It was a real thrill. Can't wait to see the next few episodes. I'm a little bit frightened, but you also <laughs> can't wait.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Steve (laughs) Raiden.
3: All right. Thank you, Yalin Chang. That was amazing.
1: It's so fascinating to hear how stuff happens behind the scenes. I'm an absolute nut for that kind of thing. I I loved hearing all that.
2: And so good to have her confirm some of the things we've been thinking about certain characters and some of the stuff that's going on in the background. I'm glad I'm
3: not completely off with Serena. (laughs) Your moral compass remains intact, Katie. You're good. <laughs> Phew. but like, yeah, all of those insights, like,
4: uh, especially what she was saying about that confrontation between Serena and and June, and sort of getting an insight into what's going on in in June's brain, because that relationship is so fascinating. It's been fascinating the whole time in the show, hasn't it? Like how their lives intersect and how sometimes they're at odds with each other, sometimes they've worked together. The way that they work together with like baby with like baby Nicole and now how they're at odds again—it's just so fascinating. So getting her insights into how she gets inside June's brain for those moments
3: was great. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that that um, yeah helps us on our way as we approach episode eight. Of
4: oh my four. goodness! Because what you just said was so true that like you could totally see that June leaving Gilead and arriving in Canada—that could have been a season finale you know and it isn't we still have a few episodes to go
3: and I'm like oh my god what is gonna happen yeah well we had that with her episode um the last ceremony because that had the false labor and we thought you know we had this conversation back then as well sort of like oh my god you think they're gonna have the she thinks she's gonna have the baby a couple of eps before the finale yeah they're really messing with our (laughs) our expectations (laughs) Yeah, which is really for the best. We would never want this to be predictable. But Fiona, you had, um,
4: if we can do a little bit of speculation, you had an idea of what the finale would contain, which has got my mind whirring. Not that I've got any answers, but do you want to talk about that? (laughs) Uh,
3: Yeah, well, we we had a little conversation off mic, but yeah, speculating about what this finale might be because now we're up to episode eight. But I was just thinking like all of the finales to date have centred around kids. So, you know, first season it was, she's pregnant. Second season, it was Nicole got out. Third season, it was a plane load of kids getting out. Yeah, I just think it's, they're always around the kids. So is that, is that a trend that might continue in season four? Mm, that's interesting. Know. Nicole or Hannah or Serena's child?
1: I worry about Hannah's safety in Canada now that um, Gilead's going to realise June's out and, you know, she's going to raise hell in Canada. So mm. who knows? But there's also
3: a little Waterford now. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) The way that sounds. (laughs) I know. It was uncomfortable saying it, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, not if June has her way and her, you know, (laughs) prediction bears out in terms of mm. it not surviving. My goodness. Yeah. Well, I like what Yalan just said about how it was a kind of a,
4: a reminder that, that fertility is, is such an issue in Gilead that even though you might be able to get pregnant, can you actually stay pregnant, you know? And so that it is, they haven't, you know. Canada hasn't solved the fertility crisis, so nothing is for certain. So, um, yeah, I wonder what's wonder what's going to happen. Mm.
3: Well, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but we are here to find out. We are in for the long haul. Thank you that that was a that was a great one. Um, thank you for listening. We hope that helped just broadly across uh, with your understanding of this series. Um, I don't have a joke about where we're off to, but anyway. Yeah, we're, we're
1: off to write um, fan fiction spec scripts for The Handmaid's Tale.
3: <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Um, I'd like to thank my co-hosts, uh, Haiti Island, Sana Kadar, Natalie Hambly, and our special guest, Yaline Chang. That was fantastic. And thank you for listening. We love, to, uh, we love that you choose to watch this season along with us, and we love to know what you think. So reach out on Twitter. You can find me there at anything but Fifi. Natalie, where can we find you? At Natalie Hambly. Sana, where can we find you? At Sana underscore Kadar. And Haiti? At Haiti Island. And while you're there, use the hashtag Eyes on Gilead so we can find your tweets. Also, while you're here, why not leave some feedback and give us a rating on your favourite podcast app. It helps other people to find the show. We will be back to recap episode eight when it drops. And new episodes of The Handmaid's Tales season four premiere every Wednesday on SBS On Demand and Thursday on SBS. And if you're watching on television, they premiere at 9.30 p.m. And if you speak other languages or if you know someone who does, SBS On Demand is also subtitling the series in simplified Chinese and Arabic. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down.
0: You don't own me I'm not your property So take your dirty building, thinking that off me Oh, I know what I am. I'm the rage monster who hates Serena.
3: Need a few minutes to reset?